All right, but yeah, I'm getting married next Saturday. That's exciting. Um, clap afterwards. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, like, is there is there one thing that you've wanted so badly that it was more than just like a want, but it was almost like a yearning, a, an a, an urge you just couldn't get rid of. You wanted it so badly that like it took precedent over everything else. Like, what are some of those things that can like we can't get away from. Brenda knows, like, I get, I get stuck on things. Like, I'll start thinking about something, whatever it is, I'll just be stuck there for weeks at a time, wanting that one thing. Whether it be a new job, whether it be a car, whether it be technology, whether it be a relationship, or whether it be getting married, whatever it is, like, there's things that we get stuck on. In a good way, sometimes. In a good way, in a good way. Like, there's things that we want so badly that's more than just a want. Like, a desire that's it's deeper than that. A desire that's almost from the gut. That's, and that, that word, talk like from the stomach, is a word we're going to talk about later. Um, we're going to be Matthew 9, though. Kind of picking up right where we left off. We're going to finish up chapter 9 today. I'm going to go, just go ahead and read Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I'll give you just a second to flip there. All right, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. God, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for, for gathering these people here this morning to, to proclaim your goodness, to, to proclaim who you are. And Father, I pray that this morning you truly would be the center, that everything we do, everything we say, everything we sing, everything that is said from right here this morning, that it would be for you, all about you, and to make much of you. Father, allow us to hear the lofty words that are, that are said, the words that, that just have such importance in our lives. Father, I pray that you would put within us a love that, that is just greater than we can really understand, a love for you and a love for the people that you love. Father, use these words to, to change hearts, to open hearts. Father, I just ask that you would move in a big way. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, this, this week has been difficult. Um, just as I've been like reading this passage and, and spending a lot of time just reading this passage over and over and over and over, looking at that, that word that Tanner talked about last week, that word compassion. And it was very convicting for me this week, just really challenging me to, do I have the kind of compassion that Jesus had here? Do I really have that? Do I care about people the way that he cared about people? 
and cares about people. And it's just been very, very challenging for me. So all that to say is I, I feel like I'm really preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to anyone else. Um, but just hear, the, hear these words that, that God has. Uh, I don't know if you remember, back in Matthew 4, we were there months ago. That would have been back April, probably, March. I don't know when that was. Matthew 4. I'm going to read Matthew 4.23. Um, I, I was ahead of the game this week and actually have some verses up here. That's rare, but we're going to try it. Matthew 4, 23 and 24 says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all that was sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. It sounds a lot like the very first 35 here. It's almost identical. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So as I, as I saw that comparison, I knew there was a big seminary word for that. Or not big, but I knew there was a the word for that, and I was like, I don't remember what it is. Inclusio. I was going to quiz Tanner, but I didn't want to put him on the spot. Inclusio, basically two bookends. Like, you've got here, he's going through all the villages. And then he preaches a sermon. He, he heals. He raises people from the dead. He declares his authority over sin. And then it says again, and he went throughout all the villages, healing disease and preaching about the kingdom. And because of this, we said that Jesus had attracted a following. There's, there's a big group of people that are following him. And I read it, one historian said that there was approximately, I don't know how they got the number, approximately three million people probably in Galilee at this time. Approximately, ballpark figure. And it says that, the way is he's been going around to villages, to all the cities, as he's been doing all these amazing things, majority of those three million people have probably experienced him to some degree, whether it be through word of mouth, whether it be through seeing him do something, but they've probably encountered this man that they've been told was doing amazing things, was doing big things, doing awesome things. Because Jesus has been, he just preached the Sermon on the Mount that was saying, like, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to look like. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a true follower of me, this is what it's going to mean. If you've heard the Old Testament taught, but this is actually what it means. That's what he kept saying. And we talked about how there was this group of, these big group of people. He had his immediate disciples that were seeking, longing to know him, longing to follow him. You've got this other group, this other group that really wants to know what it looks like to follow him. They're, they're very curious. They, they want to be a part, but they're not quite sure. And then you've got the big crowds, the crowds that are there for a show, that, are, that have seen him do all these cool things. They've, oh, he's going to feed us. He's going to do all these amazing things. So that's why they are following him. And he's been teaching. And he's, he's displayed his authority over sickness, over death, over blindness over the storm over nature he's displayed his authority over the demon possession over like the spiritual realm and then he declared his authority over sin but here's the thing as we transition into chapter 10 
you see that all of a sudden he's starting, he's going to start another sermon in chapter 10. But all of a sudden his commands are not merely just teaching, but he's beginning to send his disciples out as no longer just passive followers, no longer as just people sitting in the back waiting being taught, but he's going to send them out. And we'll see that when we get to 10, not, not this week. Jesus here, it says he was going about teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing diseases, and healing afflictions. And the first thing I want to like make clear is that he, he preached the gospel and he met physical needs. The separation was never there. He didn't merely meet physical needs. He didn't ignore physical needs and just preach. And that's something, there's this thing called like the social gospel. This thing that says the church should not be out preaching on the corners. They shouldn't be going around trying to convert people. What the church should be doing is going around meeting needs of people and letting their love flow through that. Let it, go feed people that are hungry. Go, go clothe people that are naked. And let that do the preaching. Which is great, but I think that's missing a big part of it. There's another, there's another side that says that when people come in hungry, when people come in in desperate need of something physical, that the church is to say, hey, you don't really need that. What you really need is Jesus. He's your ultimate desire. He's going to meet your ultimate need. He's what you need more than anything else. Which is true. But is that how Jesus went about doing things? I think that the fact that Jesus did not separate the physical needs from the spiritual needs is huge. Because people often do not want to hear what you know until they realize you genuinely care about them. Just the differences between evangelism and everything I've read from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, like the door-to-door -door evangelism that was successful. Like people would go to door-to-door -door and say, hey, here's this track, Jesus loves you, will you pray this prayer? And people, well, they wanted something, so it was successful. Successful. But people now, you don't see that much anymore. You don't, you don't see people saying, I'm, we're just going to go, we're just going to go do door-to-door -door evangelism. Because people now, not saying door-to-door -door never works, not saying don't ever do that. But in modern day, in this postmodern world, people want to know that they're cared for. People want to know that you love them more than they just want to hear about something you know, something that you've been taught. But they want to know you, you actually care about them. What I was going to do is, Andy wrote a song based on Isaiah 58. And I was going to read that, but I decided to actually just read Isaiah 58 instead. Sorry, Andy. Uh, yeah. I thought so. Um, Isaiah 58. I'm going to read 6 through 11. Probably what does God actually desire? Does he desire just outward actions? Does he desire just our outward expressions? Our fasting for the sake of fasting? I don't think that's it. I'm going to read Isaiah 58, 6 through 11. It says, Is this not the fast that I chose? It's up on the thing. 
to loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo, undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from his own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Sorry, I kind of... I guess I should read from here, not from back there when it changes. Um, you see, like, the gospel also includes caring for people genuinely, caring for them, loving them as God loves them. Like, you, Jesus did not separate the two. So Jesus had compassion, we talked about last week, over these people's physical needs. These people had needs that, that he could meet, and he said he had compassion over the people that were blind, over people that were mute. It says he had compassion. But this week what we see is that he, his compassion went much further than just meeting their physical needs. Because he would meet their physical needs, and then he would go deeper than that. Verse 36, back in Matthew 9 says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This, this word for compassion, apparently there was three words that kind of meant compassion. And kind of looking at it, kind of like our word for like affection, you've got like, I like you, I love you, I adore you. You've got like a progression. And it was the same, same with compassion. And here the word that we, he, Jesus used as Matthew wrote about Jesus' compassion, it was the strongest word for compassion. It actually meant like from the intestines. Like that, that pain that, that hurts so bad. You feel so strongly that it hurts. An example I used was parents seeing their child in the hospital for the first time and having that compassion over them, wanting so badly to, to be in their place, wanting to take them out of it and they would gladly step in. The compassion from deep. And it says that's what Jesus was feeling for the people because they were helpless. They were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Israel constantly had need of someone to shepherd over them. Constantly. There's, there's multiple times in the Old Testament where God says that this is going to be the shepherd for a time. This man is going to shepherd over you for a time. There's, in Numbers, this is talking about Joshua as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's Numbers 27, 16. It says, Let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in. And the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. Talking about Joshua. Ezekiel 37, 
Tanner went there last week. I'm going to skip on. Like, we talked about this valley of dry bones. That God says, prophesy to this valley and they will raise up. They're going to become a people. He, he called them, they raise up into an army. But here, listen. This is later on in the chapter. Starting in verse 23. It says, They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all their backsliding in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Skip into verse 27. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. David, he was a good shepherd for the people, but he was still not the ultimate shepherd. He was a temporary shepherd. One that would lead them in a in a finite way. And the leaders of Israel at this time had not been doing this. We've seen Jesus call out the Pharisees a handful of times and say, hey, you guys are doing it wrong. You guys are all about the physical. You're not, God's after your heart. He's not about just your, your service level obedience to the law. God wants so much more than that. And their need for this eternal shepherd, their need for someone so much bigger, so much greater, someone so much better, was so very clear. Micah 5.4, talking about Jesus, it says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he will be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus was this perfect shepherd. Jesus was the only one that was going to be able to allow them to dwell secure. It was this perfect teacher, this perfect leader, this perfect shepherd that while David and while Joshua and others who had led Israel had been good, they weren't the answer. And when Jesus it says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. These crowds that had come to Jesus, so many of them were there for this show. So many of them were there not caring that Jesus was Messiah, that Jesus was the only one providing forgiveness. They were there because Jesus was doing lots of cool things. Jesus was healing people. Jesus was meeting physical needs. But all too often when he did things like that, just like we talked about with when he sent the demons into the swine, they were, they were terrified. They said, go, leave. Like, that's more than we actually want. This kind of compassion, I don't know that I always have. This kind of compassion that, that cares so much about people that it hurts. The people we interact with outside of this church, inside this church, people at our jobs, the people in our schools. Do we have such compassion on them knowing that they don't know Jesus? If you know someone does not have Jesus, has not been changed by Jesus, that Jesus is not in their life, 
What kind of compassion do you have on them? Are, are you torn? Does it hurt you in your stomach? Do you wish you could be in their place for the sake of them having Jesus? Ben made mention at RCG on Wednesday night a passage in Romans 9 that I think shows that Paul is starting to get this. That Paul sees this this sense of compassion. It's going to be in Romans 9. I'm going to read 1 through 4. Listen to Paul's emotion, though, as he's looking at Israel. He's looking at the Jews and his feelings towards them. It says, Paul, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Paul says, I wish that I could be cut off for them to know Jesus. And I don't think I'm there. I've really felt this week that I'm not there. That, that, I, that I sometimes don't feel that. Is that how important we see Jesus in our lives? That we see multitudes of people outside, people that are friends, people that we aren't friends, and realize that they don't have Jesus, that they will live apart for eternity without Jesus unless they're changed by him. We've said that Jesus is preparing to send his disciples out. He's preparing to, he's been teaching them and he's going to send them out. And it says, verse 37, Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is saying, pray that people would go. But notice the people he's talking to, he's also sending out. Here at CRC, we've been praying for people to come, that God would send workers to join with us in this harvest field. We've been praying that we see opportunities that we feel like God has placed in front of us with, with possible youth ministry, with more kids' room workers, with, with so many abundant opportunities that are all around us. We feel like, God, please send us workers. Please send us people that are passionate for Jesus and want to talk about him, want to make much of him, want to proclaim him to people that so desperately need it. But I don't think it stops there. I think that we don't just pray for workers to join us. We pray for workers to go into the the harvest field worldwide. We pray for workers to go to Japan. We pray for workers to go to China. We pray for workers to go to the UK. We pray for workers to come to Johnson City. We pray for them to go wherever lost people are. Because there's people that that's how they're going to hear about Jesus is through people God sending 
all across this nation and all across the world. For us to pray for this, for us to truly do this, though, for us to go, for us to pray for people to go, it has to be out of compassion. It has to be out of love. And I don't think we get there by ourselves. I don't think we can truly love people by ourselves. I don't think we can have compassion like Jesus had compassion by ourselves. People are difficult to love. There's many people that are difficult to love. But we are to love them. The church is to love them. I thought a lot about compassion, a lot about love, and what, what does that actually look like? And I don't think that we can truly have compassion if we think we've got it, if we think we fixed ourselves, if we think that we've got it and they don't. I don't think that's where compassion comes from. I think compassion comes from realizing our brokenness, realizing that we are absolutely no different than anyone that we come in contact with. The Tanner used an example a while back of the sixth sense and said, I see dead people. And to see that there are people walking around that are spiritually dead, people that we come in contact with that are like dead people because they have no hope in Christ. They, apart from Jesus, they are dead. And if we realize that we were dead, completely dead, completely broken, completely in need, but it was not us that fixed ourselves, it was Jesus. If we realize that that is the only way that we are any different, if it's not for the gospel, if it's not for Jesus changing us, if it's not for Jesus dying for us, if it's not for him rising from the dead, then we are no different. And I think once we realize that, once we get there, once Jesus allows us to feel that, I think that's where the compassion starts. When we, have, when we realize who we are and who Christ has made us to be, we're able to better love people that are very different from us, people that we might think are difficult to love. But there are people all around that truly are like sheep without a shepherd. People that are wandering around, don't know the truth, don't know who they were made to be, don't know that they are sinners, eternally separated from God. And yet Jesus is sending people out. And as we pray for God to send out workers to this harvest field, to these people that are spiritually dead, as we pray for that, what Jesus says to pray for his command here is not, go pray for the harvest. It's to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers there. In Romans 1, I'm not going to read it, but Romans 1, Paul says, I was set apart. I was made an apostle. I was called out for the sake of Jesus' name among all the nations. It's paraphrased. He said he was saved for the sake of of Jesus' name among all the nations. His salvation was not for himself, but his salvation was for every other person among the nations. All the nations? What about he was saved for Jesus' name among the lost? 
Paul says, I was saved so that Jesus' name would be made big among people that don't know him. So people would know him. Over this next two weeks, there's going to be a lot of new people moving into Johnson City. A lot of students coming into campus, a lot for the first time, a lot returning. Many and many, many who desperately need to know Jesus. We've got international students coming onto campus that have quite possibly never heard of Jesus, never heard the name, who desperately need to know. We've got people in our city walking up and down our streets, running into us at work, classmates in school that don't know Jesus at all. And if we have compassion, true compassion, not obligation, not, a, not even a sense of duty, but true compassion for their soul, for their life, and realizing that they're created in the image of God, and they're broken just like we are broken, and they need Jesus just like we need Jesus, then we're going to want to tell them. If we're really passionate about Jesus, then we're not going to be able to not talk about him. If we're truly passionate about Jesus, we're not going to be able to not talk about him. Tanner's often asked the question of, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What do you want to do? What is this passion that God has given you? But if we truly say that we're passionate about Jesus, Jesus is passionate about the lost. Jesus is passionate about the people that are wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. We've already been sent to go to the harvest. We've been sent to go to the lost. If you are a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, that is our command. It says numerous times in the Bible, Matthew 28, well, go, go. But we pray for people to go. We pray for people to be called into this harvest, into the harvest all around us, into the harvest throughout the entire world. But that doesn't happen without compassion. My biggest, biggest prayer this morning was, would be that we would see people and have that kind of compassion. That as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the gym, as you talk to people by any method, in person, on the internet, on the phone, whatever it be, that we have a compassion for them that cares about their soul, that meets physical needs, but that cares about them as a person. Let's ask God to do that. Let's ask that, is he the center of our world? If, that, if, that's, if, that's, where we, if that's how we hold him, then let's pray for that kind of compassion. Compassion that sees people so desperately in need of Jesus. Let's pray.